Um, yeah, so, do you know what, it's been great this morning just, just to see how vulnerable uh, each other are. And, and it's been great hearing words, it's been great hearing Dan sing, it's been uh, just great uh, just being, having that vulnerability to come forward and be prayed for. Because actually, they're really big things and they're really difficult things. And I just want to thank each and every one of you for coming forward, for praying, for just being vulnerable. And, and that's a good place for us to be, because as Bob said, we are family together. Uh, and if there's a place to be vulnerable, it's here, it, it's safe. And, uh, and we should keep being those who build each other up, who strengthen each other. So I'm just going to stand before you now and be a little bit vulnerable and say I've been preparing this talk for a couple of weeks and I've had this last week where I would say my frustration and anger levels have been well above average. In that cartoon, I have steam coming out of my ears over how interesting some people have been in my life this week. Uh, and, uh, and do you know what? I, when, when, when we get into this passage, you're going to find out a little bit more where this is going, uh, because we're talking a lot about anger. We're talking a lot about how we deal with some of this stuff. Uh, and I just really feel that God's been there going this week going, yeah, but, but look at that, Jonathan. Look, how are you dealing with that situation? How are you going to deal with that situation? Uh, and, and this week, I've had to really search my own heart. I've had to search, actually, how should I be responding when somebody acts like that towards me? And I've had to seek forgiveness of God, and I've, I've had to pursue that. I've got to say to God, I'm really sorry. I didn't respond well in that situation. How can I respond the next time? And I think the thing that I've got to is, actually, God wants my heart. God wants a relationship with me. And, and actually, as that relationship deepens, as that relationship goes further, as I know the more of the Holy Spirit in my life, and as I step out in all of these areas, I actually get to have my wings unclipped, as Bob was saying. And as you have your wings unclipped, you're able to soar, you're able to go further. And, and I think this is what part of this passage uh, is about. So we're going to read that together. If you've got your Bibles uh, or your phones, Ephesians 4, verse 25 to 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all bodies, we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So I want you to start this morning by thinking of when you were a child. 
Now, for some of you, that's a couple of years ago. For some, you might really have to work hard. But when you were a child, what kind of discipline did you respond to? Did you, A, ignore it and just do as you please? Did you, B, do it because you just felt so guilty and knew the consequences? Or did you just do it willingly because your parents always knew what was best for you? Yeah, I, I was never a C either. I, I think we all respond to instructions differently, don't we? And, and this really continues into our adult life as well. It's not about just instructions from your parents, it's about other people. And, and when we read this passage, it can easily be seen as a list of do's and don'ts. Don't lie. Don't sin when you get angry. Don't steal. Do speak the truth. Do work honestly. Do share. And so the list continues in the passage and we can obey to choose and obey these instructions or we can choose not to obey these instructions like anything else in life but again I think we have to be aware of what lies behind us wanting to obey or not to obey because Paul isn't instructing us to do these things because we need to obey and step into them we're not saved we're not a christian because we're doing these things but actually paul wants us to do these things because we are dearly loved children and god wants the best for you you see the first verse in chapter five which is what we get on to after this passage says follow god's examples therefore as dearly loved children because you are a dearly loved child of the living god Just let that sink in. You are a dearly loved child of the living God. And God loves you so much. And God wants the best for you. And the storm might be going on around in your life at the moment. And you might think, God does not want the best for me. But you know what? The truth is, it says it in the Bible, God wants the best for you. You are a dearly loved child. And because you are a dearly loved child, and because he wants the best for you, God instructs us on the way we should be living. Not because we have a list of do's and don'ts to do, but so that we can get the best out of life. See, I love my children to bits. I get parenting wrong loads. It doesn't really matter how I do it. I get it wrong. Sometimes I get it right. Uh, but I I really want the best for them, and and I discipline them because I want the best for them. And I know that if they don't do their homework, I know that if they don't take school seriously, then I don't think that's the best for them. But they have a choice. They have a choice whether to do their homework, whether forget to tell me that they've got any homework, whether they they do it to the best of their ability or whether they just rush it through just to get it done and not actually learn anything from it. But as their father, I want them to give it their all. I want them to reach their full potential. I want them to learn loads and really get as much out of it as they can so they can enjoy the subject and do whatever they want with their lives. And God wants the same for you but at a much greater level. God wants what's best for you, but he's not going to force you to do it. He's not going to make you 
obey him. He's not going to make you do stuff, but he wants you to serve him out of love and obedience, not through fear and punishment, because that's not the God we've got. So when we look at this passage, I don't want you to beat yourself up over areas of your life that maybe aren't as good as you think they should be. This passage is not about beating yourself up. This passage is actually about looking to Father God and saying, I know you want the best for me. I know you want me to live my life in your way because that's the best for me. And you want my heart and to go wholeheartedly and please him because we know it's the best. So don't beat yourself up this morning. But let's just realize who God is. Let's realize his greatness. Let's realize everything he's got for you because he wants the best for you. So he tells us things that we should and shouldn't be doing. Now, as again, I, I come before you as someone who's a hypocrite after the last week I've had in everything I've said there. So I think we need to pray. So if you're able, just stand. Father God, we stand before you this morning as dearly loved sons and daughters. You are a dearly loved son and daughter. And when we look at these, a list of do's and don'ts, we are so sorry. We sin, we do things wrong, and we know it. And we ask for your forgiveness, but we just thank you that you graciously just give that forgiveness to us. But Holy Spirit, come and convict us this morning. Come and convict us that actually, because you want the best for us, you want us to live our life in the way that you, that you choose. And, and it's not because you're a God who says, do this, don't do this. It's a God who wants the best for us. So Holy Spirit, come and help us to know that you want the best for us. We are a dearly loved son and daughter of yours. And I just pray as we leave this place, we would know that and we would walk in your truths, not because we have to, but because you want the best for us. So help us to do that and help us to realize your heart this morning and help us to give our hearts to you. Amen. Please take your seats. So as I initially looked at this passage, uh, there were two things that struck me. The first thing that struck me was that all these instructions were to do with relationships. So do not lie. Do not sin when you're angry. Do not steal. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger. They're all to do with the way we interact with people, aren't they? You can't actually do these things on your own if you're in isolation because actually they're, they're the way that you interact and value relationships. And Paul's saying we must be a people who put a high priority on others, that relationships are really important. And the other thing that jumped out at me is that for every negative thing of what we shouldn't be doing, there was a positive thing of what we should don't lie, but speak truthfully. Don't steal, but work hard and share. We're to be those, as Richard was saying last week, that take off our old self and put on our new self. Take off our old ways and put on our new ways. Because that's what's kind of important. It's not just about trying to do things differently. It's not about not doing stuff. It's actually being completely different. Because we're that new person God created us to be. We have to remove the sin 
and the ungodly behaviour as God puts on the holiness and the cleanness and the godly behaviour that changes our lives and changes other people. Although when I was preparing this talk, I was reminded of something that Terry Virgo said, actually, about the gift of tongues. He said, it's not God who speaks in tongues, it's you. Some people switch into a passive mode, some people wait for God to do it. Speaking is what you do, the language is what God gives. He was saying that God doesn't force us to speak in tongues, that actually we have to open our mouths and God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us the language of tongues. And I, I just thought, you know what, this is the same. This is the same as renewing our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to help us change. We need the Holy Spirit to help us become more holy. But actually, the person who starts the process is you. God won't force us. God won't force you to be holy. God won't force you to, to do this list of things. It's you that has to initiate the change. But the Holy Spirit graciously comes and empowers you and helps you as you make that change and helps you keep it. You see, as a GP, I'm involved in loads of conversations about change, stopping smoking, losing weight, dealing with bad news. There's loads of things that I, I deal with change every day. And, and there's a cognitive behavioural therapy course that I really like, uh, written by a Christian psychiatrist, actually, called Chris Williams. And it's called the Five Areas Approach, and four of those areas demonstrate the way that we are. The, the way that we, we think, the way that we act, the way that we um, feel, uh, and our physical symptoms as well. And actually, all four of these areas are linked. So I'm going to give you an example for that. So let's pretend you have the flu, or if you have it really bad, you have man flu. And, and you have the physical symptoms of the runny nose, the achy joints, the, uh, the, the cough and, and all the horrible symptoms that go with the flu. And this, in turn, makes you feel low and makes you feel quite rotten. That affects your behaviour. You don't want to go out. You don't want to interact with people. Uh, and, and it will make you think you're, you're, just, you're no good for nothing. You, you, you can't do anything. What's the point in even going to work? However, in my lovely GP hat on, with the magic of paracetamol, fluids and rest no antibiotics, <laughs> your physical symptoms will improve and you will start to feel better. You'll start getting out of the house. You'll start interacting with people. And as you talk to people, actually you'll realise the world is not against you. Actually, you start to feel a bit better. Or it could be that you've been hurt by someone and then wrong thoughts start going through your head telling you that actually you're useless, you've broken that relationship, you, you can't do anything right, why, why are you doing that? You're not loved, no one cares for you. And these wrong thoughts then affect the way you feel. You start to feel unloved, uncared for, worthless. And your thoughts and your feelings affect the way you behave. You start hiding from people. Or maybe you, you start going after attention and, and others don't give you the attention that you want. You behave differently about people. You might not leave the house. Your physical self is affected as well. You, you get panic attacks, you can get palpitations, you can get anxiety feelings, you can get constant illness and tiredness. And that changes with how you interact 
with the world outside you. And yet, if you change one of those areas, actually, you start to change the whole picture. That's why we bang on about physical exercise, about actually how walking, cycling, whatever it is, makes you feel better. It makes you feel that you've achieved something, changes your thinking and your behavior. Or you can change your behavior. You speak to others, and you, you, you realize that actually is the problems you're facing. They're real, and, and, and others care. You can change the way you're thinking, Whatever your past experience is, actually, you're not worthless. You might get bits wrong, but you're not a failure. You're loved and you're cared for, even if you don't realize it. You change one of these areas, it changes the whole picture. And you know what? That's what Jesus has done for us. Because the verse just before the passage we read in Ephesians 4, 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And I truly believe that actually... God's done this before us. He's gone ahead of us. He's saying, be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And we need a God-renewed mind to get rid of the wrong thoughts, the wrong feelings about ourselves. We need to stop telling ourselves we're less than the person we are because we're so much more, because we're made right with God again, because of the truths that we've got in our lives. We have to change our thinking. We are no longer a slave to sin We're a child of God. It means that even if you get things wrong, you're not a failure. It means whatever's happened in your life, those feelings, those experiences, they're not there to make you feel bad, but they're to make you know that God is bigger than all of those. He forgives you and he brings you near to him. It means those words, those thoughts that play over and over in your head about how bad you are, about how much you've messed up, that there's no coming back for this, are all utterly wrong. Because the truth is there's always forgiveness. There's always acceptance. There's always a way back to God. Richard uh, encouraged us to read the first couple of chapters of Ephesians uh, last week. And and you know what? There are so many truths in it. And these are truths that we need to renew our mind with. And just briefly, I went through the first two chapters. In the first two chapters... You are blessed in the heavenly realms. You are chosen before the world was made. You are holy and blameless. You're adopted sons and daughters according to God's pleasure. That means you're adopted sons and daughters because God wants you, not because God has to have you. You're redeemed and forgiven. You're lavished with the riches of his grace. You are chosen. You are included in Christ. You're given the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance. Paul prays that you'll receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation if as long as you accept it. Paul prays that you may know the hope to which he's called you as long as you accept it. Paul prays that you may know his incomparably great power as long as you believe it because of God's great love for you, because God is rich in mercy for you. Because you're made alive in Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. And it's nothing to do with you and nothing to do with your works. God has raised you up with Christ and seated you in the heavenly realms. You've been brought near to God. You've been given peace. You have access to the Father God by one spirit. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're citizens and God's people and members of his household. And that's just a brief read of the first couple of chapters. There are so many things that we need to renew our minds with. We need to be proactive 
in this. And it starts with us actively deciding we are going to renew our minds. We need to understand what God's done for us. Now, I don't care how you do this, but you need to do it. You need to renew your mind. That could be writing little post-it notes and putting them up all over the house about different verses in the Bible of what God's done. That could be playing worship songs in your car every day. Just, that's the truth. That's what I need to believe in. It's not what the world says. It's not because of that situation where I've messed up. It's not because of that situation where I've let someone down or they feel I've let them down. That's not true. That's not the fact of who you are. Who you are, it depends on God and not you. Renew your mind and it transforms your whole being because your thoughts based on truth will lead you to change the way you feel about yourself because feelings can come and go but thoughts based on truth are steadfast. Your thoughts spur you on to have the right feelings about yourself. And it's easier to change your behavior with a renewed godly mind because if you know you're loved, even if you mess up, it doesn't matter if you mess up, you can deal with that, but you're loved by God unconditionally. You're wanted, even if you're rejected by your own family. You have a hope and a purpose, even if you've lost your job and don't know where to go. You're part of God's family and you're a citizen of heaven, even if you've lost your own homeland. You see, we need to change our thinking and stand on these truths because they will change our lives and they will deepen our relationship with God forever. But it's up to us to step out in changing our lives, renewing our mind But as we do this, the Holy Spirit so graciously comes in, so graciously empowers, so graciously helps us to make this change. So put off falsehood and speak the truth. We don't need to lie. We're people that don't have to make ourselves look better by lying. Being lying often is trying to make ourselves look better But as soon as that lie is found out, it breaks relationships. It breaks trust. And that's that's important for us, not just in the places that we live, but as a family of God together. We are the body of Christ. We're members of one body and should be united, pulling in the same direction. We should be unified. John Stott wrote, For a fellowship is built on trust, and trust is built on truth. So falsehood undermines fellowship while trust strengthens it. We need to speak truthfully to each other. We need not to lie. It also, the passage goes on to say, in your anger, do not sin. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I find that a really confusing statement because when I was being brought up, my parents really told me that anger was not good. And that, that's true uh, to some extent. Uh, but, but actually, this statement implies there is a kind of anger that is okay. There is a righteous kind of anger, a Christian kind of anger. And that Christian kind of anger is totally different to unrighteous anger. And we need to know the difference between those. Because an unrighteous anger lashes out at people. In fact, a couple of verses on from saying, in your anger do not sin, in verse 31, uh, Paul says to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. 
So it's that anger that we need to get rid of. So having this righteous anger does not mean you have an excuse to get angry with people. See where I've come in with my lovely week and where God's been challenging me? There is an unrighteous anger that leads to bitterness and rage, but that's a kind of simmering anger, and that, that is not right. But there is this righteous anger. And I really think this righteous anger is actually an anger against sin. It's an anger against the wrongdoing and the unfairness that there is in this world. Because Jesus became angry when the Jews were using God's temple for financial gain. And in Psalm 119, verse 53, uh, it says, But when I see the wicked ignore your directions, I'm beside myself with anger. You see, God hates sin. And as sons and daughters of God, we should hate sin too. There are things we should actually become angry about. There are things like maybe the homeless. There are things like the persecuted, the poor, the injustice in our world, the injustice in the workplace. And actually this anger should then drive us to sit up and want to change the situation. And that's what I love about face-to-face -face that we're doing as a church. It reaches out to the poor and the homeless in Bedford and makes a difference. That, that's what I love about the stuff we're doing in Malawi, Tanzania, and Nigeria. It, it reaches out and tries to do something different about the injustice and the impoverty in those countries. And you know what? That's what first stirred me to get involved in the work in Asia, meeting persecuted Christians that were imprisoned wrongly for their faith and just a desperate desire to stand with them. There is a righteous anger but it needs to lead you to make a difference. It's a good thing, but it needs to be used correctly. I think sometimes we probably don't get angry about the injustices enough. We don't get angry about the sin and the wrong that's going on enough, and we just let it happen, and we let it go by. And that's wrong too. But righteous anger, if not used correctly, is also wrong. You see, righteous anger must not fester. In verse 27, it says, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. We're not to dwell on that anger. We get angry, we move on, and we make a difference. Righteous anger should never lead to sin. It's because of sin we get angry. If it leads to sin, that's just ridiculous. We should be slow to anger and ensure that our anger doesn't lead to bitterness, hatred, violence, or rage. And righteous anger should never let the devil get a foothold. And this is really important. We can become angry at an injustice, and we can try to deal with that injustice. And by dealing with that injustice, we can ruin relationships. We can breed hatred. We can actually make the unjust situation even worse. Whereas actually righteous anger should lead to a place to have action, that we should drive to a change, that actually in that change, we should be showing unnatural grace, unnatural mercy, unnatural love. But you know what? God became angry at the sin that was in the world. And that drove him to send Jesus. That drove him to send Jesus to show unnatural love, unnatural mercy, and unnatural grace by dying on the cross for you.
And we need the Holy Spirit for all of this. We so need the Holy Spirit for all of this. I really need it. And there's a reason that in chapter 3, Paul prayed that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, because that's what we so desperately need. We need God to help us change. But so often I've prayed, God, change me. And I carried on without him. And we've got to stop that. We can't just say, God, change me, and not be proactive in the change process ourselves. Because it's not a passive process. God will not force you to change. But actually, he will equip you. He will strengthen you. The Holy Spirit will come and help change you. But you have to put that step forward. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to show us where we need to change. We need to be strengthened to do it. But we need to make that change. We need to step out. Because if we don't, we will grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul says we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives in us, who helps us, who guides us, who leads us, who empowers us. The Holy Spirit who is personal and in relationship with us. And grieving the Holy Spirit, we will ruin relationship with him. We will maybe begin to doubt our faith. We will doubt that reassurance. As we grieve the Holy Spirit, we reject what is best for us and we start putting those grubby clothes back on again. And how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is holy. It's kind of in the name, isn't it? So um, the Holy Spirit being holy, we grieve the Holy Spirit by not being holy. We grieve the Holy Spirit by sin. The Holy Spirit is just and righteous, and we grieve the Holy Spirit when we're unjust, when we ignore injustice, when we're selfish. The Holy Spirit is one spirit. He loves unity, and we grieve him when we argue, when we're not unified together, when we're not women and men of peace. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Build your relationship with him. Pursue holiness, pursue justice, pursue unity. And as you do this, the Holy Spirit will just guide you more closely. You'll deepen your relationship with him. So how do we change? How are you going to change this morning? How do you become more Christ-like? How do you take off your old self and put on the new self that God's given you? How do you deepen your relationship with the Holy Spirit? I think it it starts with renewing our mind. And that's something I, I want us to do this morning as we come to the communion table. To stop thinking those old thoughts that take us away from God and putting the new thoughts of the truth of what God's given us in their place. To put up the post-it notes, to put up the music, to, to whatever helps you know more of the truth of God. To read your Bible regularly. It's the whole, one of the amazing things with reading your Bible. There are so many truths of what you actually are and what you are in Christ and not the lies that other people tell you.
We should be those that are reading our Bible. And as, as we do not turn to sin to make us feel better, but realize that in Christ we're a new creation, that we're loved, we're accepted, it means actually we don't try and better ourselves by putting other people down. We don't try and make ourselves look good by lying. We don't try and do some of the things that, that actually grieve the Holy Spirit, but we start working with God and we see ourselves as the person God wants us to be because God wants the best for you. We change our thoughts, we change our behavior, and as we step out, the Holy Spirit just graciously comes and strengthens. But you have to make the first move. God won't force you. And I, I think actually now is a really good time for us to come to the communion table. Because it's because of Jesus that we have these truths in our lives. It's because of Jesus we get to renew our mind and renew our thinking. It's because of Jesus that our, our kind of wings get unclipped and we can soar with him because he makes us anew and he makes us the best that we can be. If you don't know Jesus this morning, as you come to the communion table, grab one of us. Grab Rich. Grab... Phil, it's going to call you Matt. Uh, Rich, Phil, grab me, grab uh, Nicola, Jess, anyone that you think actually uh, could help you. Because do you know what? Starting to know Jesus is the start of this process. And we just want to, we, we want to help you with that. We want to help you soar. Soar like eagles. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed... While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he says to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Then he took the cup and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of your sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until that day, when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So we're going to come, and we're going to thank Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, and, and I want you to talk to each other, to actually come before God and just say, I am so sorry, God, for how angry I've got over situations. Help me deal with those better this week coming, or whatever it is for you. God, help me in my relationships, my family, my friends. As a church body, are we unified together? Let, let's be honest with each other. Let's get into groups and pray for each other. Actually, maybe even talk to each other about how you're going to step out this week and change. How are you going to step out? How are you going to renew your mind so that actually this is going to be a long-lasting thing? And let's just pray for each other, knowing the Holy Spirit will guide, 
we'll lead and we'll just empower you for every little bit. So if you want to come up, if the worship band wants to come to the front, and let's just be real together. There's a table at the back and two down at the front.